Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly low. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson. We've got a terrific show for you as Danny Burke of the Vegas Ads and Information Network going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be chatting with him a little bit about the Chicago teams. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Annalise, but we're going to be looking a lot at splits, how he winds up handicapping baseball with that regard, what he's all noticed throughout the season. So, going to have some great fun with that. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Thursday as we touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. Twitter timeline at GRSCORTY1 is the first one. That is GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind the letters EM, they mean does not matter, but the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. I know that many of you guys ask what the best way to be able to support this podcast it is. Just merely rate this podcast five stars if you get an opportunity and download and listen like you guys are right now. It is always appreciated and you've done your part. Did not wind up getting in any questions today, but we did have a very fun day of baseball on Wednesday. So let's take a look back at it, trying to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The Milwaukee Brewers get a win over the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 4-1 to one for the Brew Crew. Tremendous start here from Brandon Woodruff. Seven and two-thirds innings, he gives up one run. Josh Hader comes in for the save. Used up 31 pitches, so can't think that he's going to be available on this day. But Devin Williams used up two pitches, so there was that. Obviously, El Garcia gets his fifth home run the campaign. That comes off of Ryan Helsley, who winds up giving up three runs while being able to record just two outs in the eighth inning. That was not good from John Gantho. He was pretty superb. 100 run over the course of five innings. Used up quite a few pitches, walked quite a few guys, but he's been able to be solid. Genesis covered up, was able to give you two innings. Tyler Webb gave you an additional out, and Tyler O'Neill was able to get his 7th homer on the campaign. That comes off of Mr. Woodruff. Really is a low mistake. The New York Metropolitans made Matt Harvey pay for all of his mistakes. 7-1 to the final is Harvey. He got lit up in this one. Gives up 7 runs, all of which were earned over the course of 4 and a third innings. From there, you had some good bullpen pitching. 
Keegan Aiken was able to give you an inning. Sean Armstrong was able to get a couple outs, and then you got two scoreless innings out of Tyler Wells. But for the Baltimore Orioles, 0 of 9 with men in scoring position, not a lot doing for them as Tywon Walker gives up one run over the course of seven innings. He's been solid in. The Mets bullpen has been good as well. Robbie Gazelman was able to give you a solid inning, and then you got one out of Drew Smith. And for the Mets, no one runs in this one, but 7 of 10 with men in scoring position. Needless to say, they were able to get things rolling there for the Reds. They've only been averaging right around three and a half runs per game on the road, but they played it four in the 10th innings. They take down the Pittsburgh Riders by a count of 5-1 to one for Sonny Gray. Not necessarily the longest start for him. He gives up one run over the course of four and two-thirds innings, but a Reds bullpen that has been very bad recently. They were tremendous in this one. Sean Doolittle, Ethan Embry both give you a scoreless inning. TJ Antone gives you four outs, and Lucas Sims, two scoreless. Mike Moustakis, he winds up getting a home run in this one. He goes deep off of Trevor Kale, his fourth of the campaign. As for Kale, that was his lone Real run, give it up. One run, give it up in five and a third innings. Sam Howard was able to stem the tide. Clay Holmes, along with Jason Treve, were able to give you a pair of outs. And then Drew Bernard, Richard Rodriguez, scoreless innings between Underwood Jr. In the 10th inning, gives up four runs, three of which were earned. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, one of 13 with men in scoring position. I would call that an issue. The Cubs out there in the NL Central, they had an issue scoring runs as well. They wind up losing to the Cleveland Indians by a kind of two to one for the Cubbies. They wind up going to the 10th inning, and it was the young gentleman. Keegan Thompson that winds up giving up the unearned run in that inning. As Zach Davies gives you a good start. Five and a third innings, he gives up one run. Justin Seals is able to give you a pair of outs. Andrew Chafin, two innings. Ryan Tabera is able to give you an inning as well. But for the Cubs, one of 15 with men in scoring position, leaving 15 men on base. Sam Entages, not necessarily a lot of length, but he doesn't give up a run in four and two thirds innings. Walk four along the way. From there, you wind up having one run given up by Nick Sandlin, but Brian Shaw comes in. He's able to clean up that inning. And then James Karinchek, Aminio Clase, along with Nick. Wickren, Cal Quantrill. I'll give you scoreless innings as for the Cleveland Indians. Three times with men in scoring position. Their offense has scuffled a little bit. They were able to get the job done there. The Padres and the Rockies wind up splitting a pair of games on Wednesday as the Padres were able to take game one by a count of five to three. In this one for the Pods, you were able to get a solid start out of you, Darvish. Not necessarily a ton of length, but four scoreless innings with regards to earned runs. He gave up one unearned run. Tim O comes out of the bullpen. He gives up two runs, but Mark Belanson was able to give you a five-out save. Emilio Pagan was able to be solid as well. And Victor Carantini winds up going deep in the sixth inning. That was his third home run of the campaign as serving that one up. Not necessarily what you were wanting out of Robert Stevenson. John Gray, he winds up giving up four runs, but only one of which was earned out there in five and two-thirds innings. He was hurt by his fielding, Michael Givens. He was able to give you a scoreless inning, but the Rockies were much more solid in game two, being able to get a three-to-two win. Blake Snell doesn't give you a lot of length. He has not went past six innings since July of 2019. Gives up two runs over the course of four innings, including home run going deep for the Colorado Rockies. Josh Fuentes is third of the campaign and then from there the Padres. They wind up being able to combine for two and two-thirds innings. They give up one run. The run was given up out of the bullpen by Nick Ramirez as this one wound up going eight innings, which that's extra innings for these double dips nowadays. And for the Padres, one of ten with men in scoring position for the Rockies. They wind up getting five and a third innings out of Austin Gomery. gives up an unearned run. Daniel Bard gives up a run of the bullpen, but he's able to provide you with five outs. And Yancy Almonte was able to do his job in the eighth inning. The Philadelphia Phillies were able to do their job coming into the series against the Nats. They had just five road wins. They've got two in the last two days. Five to two. They're able to win in ten innings. Zach Wheeler was dealing. Two runs given up in the course of six innings. From there, Connor Brogdon, Ranger Suarez able to combine for two innings. Jose Alvarado and Hector Neres were able to close out the final two and for the Phillies. They go 7-14 with men in scoring position. Odubo Herrera, who got off to a terrible start this year, he gets a second home run the campaign. That comes off for Brad Hand in extra innings. Brad Hand, he winds up giving up two runs in an inning. Danny Hudson, Sam Clay, they were able to give you scoreless innings. And for John Lester, he's looking like he's getting a little bit of a career rebirth out there in Washington. Six innings pitch, he gives up one run, but Kyle Finnegan, he gives up a run in an inning as well. And for the Washington Nationals, they leave 12 men on base. One of 13 with men in scoring position. That's not going to fly. The Detroit Tigers are letting it fly, though. Four to two, they are able to take down the Kansas City Royals as a duff man. You figured that his ERA was going to come back to earth after it started out as a 0-60 after four starts. He winds up giving up four runs over the course of six innings. Josh Samount along Jake Junis were able to give you a scoreless inning before the Royals. The lineup has not necessarily been able to get going. And for Casey Mize, he was going in this one. Gives up two runs over the course of six innings. The worst bullpen out there in the big leagues, the Tigers, with regards to ERA, wind up getting three scoreless innings. Daniel Norris, Michael Fulmer, along with Gregory Soto were able to give you a scoreless inning. And for the Tigers, they go 4 of 14 with men in scoring position. And the Yankees, they've been able to do it by pitching this year. 1 to 0, they divide up taking down the Tampa Bay Rays. Eight scoreless innings with 12 punch outs for Garrett Cole. Oral DeShaman is able to close the door. And for the Yankees, they go over 
three with men in scoring position. And for the Tampa Bay race, Colin McHugh as the opener was able to give you two scoreless innings. Ryan Yarbrough with Bulkai, three and a third scoreless innings. Ryan Thompson gives up a run in an inning, but they were able to do their part. Problem is for the race, 13 punch outs in this one from their lineup. This is the lineup with the most strikeouts out there in the big league since the beginning of the 2020 season, so that was a little bit tough. What is not tough is to know that the Dodgers is going to get back online, and they did so on Wednesday. 7-1 the final for the Seattle Mariners. They go 1-1 with runners in scoring position, but Justin Dunn unable to get her done. Three and a third innings. He gives up two runs in the process. Will Vest, who has been good for this team all year long, he gives up four runs while recording just four outs. You wind up having a run, give it up out of the bullpen out of Aaron Fletcher, and then you were able to get a scoreless inning out of Wyatt Mills, and JT Chargois was able to give you four outs as well, but for the Dodgers, they were able to get a little bit of something going in this one as Max Muncy was able to get his seventh home run in the campaign, and Julio Arias. Seven innings, he gives up one run, and then Jimmy Nelson was able to close things out with two scoreless innings. The White Sox, they were certainly able to close things out. 13-8, to they take down the Minnesota Twins. For the Twins, Elsa Cruz was able to get his ninth home run of the campaign. That comes off of Dallas Keuchel, who didn't necessarily have his A-plus stuff in this one. Gets a win despite giving up six runs in five and two-thirds innings from there. Evan Marshall winds up giving up a run without getting it out, but Jose Ruiz, Liam Hendricks, both give you a solid inning as Hendricks gives up one under to Ruiz. Nothing whatsoever. Cody Ewer was able to give you four outs. And for the White Sox, Yasmani Grandal with a home run in back-to-back days. His fourth of the season. And Andrew Vaughn finally gets his first home run of the season as J.J as J.A. Happ was hapless in this one. Gives up nine runs in three and a third outings, and then from there, you end up having Sean Anderson from the Giantes give up one earned run before total over the course of two innings. Derek Law, Alex Calme were able to give you a scoreless inning. Just not a good showing for the Minnesota Twins, who, by the way, are now 12-22. and 22. They are vying with the Tigers for the worst record out there in the American League. A team that's vying for the top record out there in the American League, though, that'd be the Oakland A's. They take down the Boston Red Sox by a count of 4-1. to How about this? Five innings with one run given up by James Caparillian. That was his first ever start, and he looks out. Birch Smith comes in for two scoreless innings out of the bullpen. Jake Diekman, Lou Trevino, they give you an inning apiece. And for Matt Olson, he goes deep off of Eduardo Rodriguez for his eighth home run in the campaign for Rodriguez. He winds up giving up four runs over the course of six innings. He only walks one. He's been able to do a better job of that. And you've got to love what you saw out of Eduardo Bazardo. Two scoreless innings out of the bullpen. Austin Bryce was able to give you one as well, but for the Red Sox, one of 11 was men in scoring position, unable to get to a young pitcher, and it cost them. The Blue Jays made the Atlanta Braves pay for their sins. 4-1 to the final in this one. Teoscar Hernandez goes deep not once, but twice. His fourth and fifth of the campaign. He hit one off of Luke Jackson, who comes out of the bullpen, gives you an inning, gives up a run, and Josh Tomlin gave up the other one. He gives up two runs over the course of an inning. Sean Newcomb was able to give you a scoreless inning out of the pen, and for Max Freed, six innings, and he gives up one run as William Contreras was the only man to get a run for the Atlanta Braves. He gets his second home run of the campaign that comes off of Hunjin Ryu. He gives up that home run and nothing else. Taylor Chatwood and A.J. Cole from there. They're able to close things out. They're able to get the job done. The Astros, they certainly got the job done as well. They take down the Angels by a count of 9-1. to one. The Angels are the top over team along with the Houston Astros out there in the American League, so they continue that trend as Patrick Sandoval comes out of the bullpen. He gives up four runs over the course of two innings to be able to cash it over. And for Andrew Heaney, he gives up three bombs over the course of five and a third innings, giving up five runs. And Sandoval, he gave up two bombs of his own. As for the Houston Astros, it was home run derby in this one. Jose Altuve goes deep off of Heaney for his fourth home run of the campaign. Kyle Tucker's eighth home run of the season. That comes off of Heaney. Heaney gives one up to Yoli Gurriel in seventh of the season. And then Jordan Alvarez goes deep off of Sandoval for his seventh home run of the campaign. And then you get the second home run of the season out of Chaz McC- Cormick. As for the Houston Astros, Jose Arakini only won three and two-thirds innings. He doesn't give up a single run. Brandon Bielak was sort of a bulk guy. Three and a third innings, he gives up a run. But then Andre Scrub, Josh Smith, they were able to clean things up from there. So the Astros get the job done. And speaking of being able to get the job done, that is exactly what the New York Post play of the day is doing. Five straight wins, ladies and gentlemen. We had the under in the Miami Marlins and Arizona Diamondbacks game. Not necessarily the pitching matchup we were expecting as the Marlins shot out there. A bullpen game led by Cody Petit and the Arizona Diamondbacks wind up going with Matt Peacock, but still the under it's 3-2 to the final in this one. As for Peacock, he winds up giving up all these runs. He gave up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of five innings. Going deep for the Miami Marlins, Asus Aguiar is eighth of the campaign and Sandy Leon is first. And for the Miami Marlins, they win this game despite going over 11 with runners. It's 
scoring position. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins bullpen, they were solid after Petit winds up giving up two runs over the course of five innings. Richard Blyer gave you four outs on the bullpen. Anthony Bass was able to give you a pair of outs. Yimi Garcia, Dylan Floral, a pair of Dodgers that used to be playing for LA. They wind up giving you scoreless innings. And the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen, Joaquin Soria, Taylor Clark, both a scoreless inning and Andrew Young, he was able to give you two scoreless as well as you were able to get a home run in this game out of the Arizona Diamondbacks as well from Andrew Young. So that was encouraging. He winds up going deep off of Petit, getting his fourth home run in the campaign. So this is what we all saw from Major League Baseball on Wednesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Thursday. Let's take a look at what is all in the mind of Danny Burke with regards to what we're seeing in baseball right now. He does terrific work with the Bag of Sets and Information Network. Does a great job handicapping baseball, looking at splits. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the NL Central and so much more. That's coming up on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. As this is a man that is the host of Rush Hour. You are able to hear that on the Vegas Ads and Information Network. If you're out here on the West Coast, that is from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Eastern Time, that is 7 to 8. Central Time, that is 6 to 7. I think we've got it all covered aside from Mountain Time or if you're out there in Hawaii. But with that said, this is also a man that does props and locks for Fox Sports 32 out there in the lovely state of Illinois. He also hosts the show Bet on Chicago. That you can hear from Saturdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time out there in the Chicagoland area on AM 890. As it is, Danny Burke joining me on the podcast. You're able to follow him on Twitter as his name, Danny Burke, and then the number five. And Danny, great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely, Hoops. Thanks for having me on. We're getting further and further along with this baseball season, which means more data to back up our bets, which I'm always a fan of. It's getting kind of to that crunch time to where some of the other sports are dwindling down and we can shift all of our attention to baseball. So it's exciting times, my friend. It certainly is. And I feel like unlike so many other sports, you're able to take a look at splits more so in baseball than ever before. I know that I've had you on this podcast several times. And we always talk about those Kyle Hendricks home to road splits, but we're seeing that with quite a few teams as well. We've seen it with the Cincinnati Reds, averaging right around 6.8 runs per game at home on the road fewer than three and a half. It's absolutely stark what we're seeing with that team. Obviously, the Philadelphia Phillies have been a vastly different team home to road, and they are going to be on the road on Thursday. And is there anything else that you've really picked up on with regards to a team that might be playing a little bit different in a circum- in a certain circumstance, whether it be home to road, whether it be day to night, what have you, because I feel like we've had some very unique ones this season. I guess, you know, with specific teams, Greg, maybe not as much with that as of this point. I mean, I know there certainly are, but from my perspective, the thing that I've been trying to kind of delve into a little bit more so is surrounding around those splits, and that's something we like to look into so much. But instead of looking at it for the majority of the season, because again, you know, we're not that deep into the Year. And even still, I kind of like to look as of late the last 15 days when you're looking at the websites that offer the splits, you could do like last seven days, last 15 days, last 30 days. And I think when you're going a little bit more recent, that's probably beneficial more so to your handicapping, Greg, because look, I mean, over the course of a season, yes, it's going to pan out to see who's best at what, considering you look at a team, say like the White Sox, for example, who we always use. They dominate against lefties. We know that's probably going to be a consistent trend. But if you're looking at a certain team like the Cubs, for example, who got off to a hot start against lefties, if you're looking at their last couple of weeks of how they've been doing, that can be really good to backing a team as well, because baseball is such a strong game of streaks that you got to kind of find these trends that people aren't talking about as much and surf with that, ride that wave, because by the time someone's already talking about it, that's when it gets a little bit further along and you've already missed the boat. So I'd probably look at the shorter sample sizes within a week, but more so even with the two weeks, because I think that could be an angle that could be beneficial throughout this long season. I think that that's such sage advice, because if the secret's out, typically it's not a secret anymore. So I'm right there with you, as we do have Danny Burke joining me on the podcast, and Danny... I know that you're out there in the Chicago land area. It's been really interesting to watch both the Cubs and the White Sox. With the Cubs, they wind up losing a little bit of a heartbreaker against the Cleveland Indians on Wednesday. But by and large, they've been able to do a little bit better ever since they got completely dismantled on Sunday Night Baseball against the Atlanta Braves a couple weeks ago. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Southsiders. It's been going really well for them. They went into Wednesday with a 20-13 and record. They've got most of their guys back. Lance Lynn is back at fold. I do realize that they're going through a couple of injuries, but... By and large, White Sox have been able to get healthy. I think that that's really the key for Chicago. You could tell that 
when they were missing a few guys in the rotation, when they were dealing with a couple of these ailments, they were scuffling a little bit. But now that everyone's back and firing all cylinders, I think that this is a White Sox team that we were expecting all year. And they have a chance to not just be the best team out there in the AL Central, but perhaps in the entire American League, it's that wide open. A hundred percent. And, you know, I'm a little bit more leery about them with the American League. I think they can get there, Greg, but with them still being injured for long-term with Aloy Jimenez and then Luis Robert, I'm a little bit skeptical long-term with the Sox, but I do think they can and really have the potential to be once they get them back towards September, end of August type of area. But you're right. Right now is a good time to kind of hone in on this White Sox team because there's going to be a little bit better value because people see the injuries. And not only that, Greg, they see the rumblings and hear the rumblings of Tony Larusa and the players and everybody not getting along with him. So that's something that's sticking into everybody's mind. And that's something that people think, oh, you know, I don't want to trust this White Sox team right now. They see a loss here. I don't trust them right now. They had so much hype, but, you know, maybe they're not as good as we think. However, I think now's a better opportunity to get relatively some better value on the Southsiders, not only on a game-to-game basis, but when it comes to the AL Central, they're at about minus 155 at Bet Rivers to win the AL Central. Then they came down to minus 143. I haven't checked as of late, but I'm sure they bumped up once again because they've been on this nice little hot streak. But again, with those division bets, look at a team like the White Sox. I'm not advocating to lay about minus 143, but if they get into sort of a lull, remember how good this team can be, especially with that starting rotation, Greg. You said it. If they can stay healthy with the pitching, that'll be enough to suffice for them to have a successful season, especially in this division in the AL Central that's really weak all around. So, you know, if you're going to be in the White Sox position where maybe you don't like your manager as much, you're missing two powerful hitters. The AL Central is the best division to be a part of, so the White Sox are beneficial in that aspect. So I think they're still a profitable team to look forward to betting on. I do totally agree with you there, as we do have Danny Burke joining me on the podcast. And when you take a look at the NL Central as well, I do think that this is a fascinating division because we've seen the St. Louis Cardinals get off to a nice start. Number two is currently the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that has tremendous pitching. We're going to be seeing that on display today as Corbin Burns is going to be going against Jack Flaherty. We wanted seeing Brandon Woodruff yesterday, but... I just still think that this is a Brewers team that is one of the biggest teams of mystery out there in baseball because we all know about the pitching with this team. J.P. Fireson has actually been tremendous out of the bullpen along with Devin Williams and Josh Hader. So you've legitimately got the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning covered with the Milwaukee Brewers. But the question is, is this team going to be able to get to three runs on a night-in-and-night-out basis? So I take a look at the Brewers, and I feel like they've got one of the lowest floors and yet one of the highest ceilings in baseball. I think that they could be a real boomer bust team moving forward. You know, I'd want to be there with you in saying that they have the highest ceiling, but I just truly don't think their offense is ever going to come alive constantly enough for them to reach that point, Greg. And you're right. I mean, look, their pitching is absolutely dominant. It was last season, at least with the bullpen. And not only is the bullpen great again this year, but they're getting their starting pitching to have some success all around too. So that's really what you need and want out of a baseball club. However, they're kind of like the Cubs in a sense where nothing lines up. It's always one or the other. It's Jekyll and Hyde with this team, but the Brewers even more so, which is so frustrating if you're a Milwaukee backer or a fan. And, you know, the Cardinals were the team I touted as winning the Central. And then you got some value on them at about 2-1 to one because they struggled. Now they're kind of getting some life under their belt and then you see them as a short shot once again so i and i keep bringing this up because now that sports gambling is getting legislated and legalized more so throughout the country you're getting offered these opportunities to have the day-to-day fluctuations of these division bets and these odds so there's really some good opportunities out there and there could be with the brewers down the road if and when you think they come alive with their hitting i just really don't see that happening anytime soon i'm not there on the Brewers, I think they're a good team to bet more on a game-to-game basis when you're looking at totals, looking at first five unders. I mean, total game unders are always a little bit sketchier because of the extra innings rule with the man starting on second and how bullpens can be shaky. But, you know, the Brewers are a team where you trust their bullpen. So more importantly, Milwaukee for me is a team that I'm just taking on a game-to-game basis and not really having anything worth backing them down the road. I do not blame you there. Being someone that is a native of the state of Wisconsin, Trust me, I know about being let down by the in-state teams, especially when it comes to big opportunities. So certainly some good advice there, though. I do think the game that is going to be coming up here on Thursday is very fascinating between the Cardinals and the Brewers because you've got Corbin Burns going for the Brewers. He wound up skipping the last couple times through the rotation. He's coming back against Jack Flaherty. 
Jack Flaherty for his career has been solid, but you take a look at the numbers, a north of five career ERA against the Brewers that's over the span of 12 starts. So I did take a look at that with the Brewers. Find them anywhere between minus 120, minus 130. Seems to be settling in right around minus 125. Not sure if you have a little bit of a take on this game, especially with the total with the juice to the under of seven. But I think that this is one that is no doubt going to be big out there in the NL Central. But I do think that there might be a little bit of value on this Brewers team just because they are facing a guy in which they have their number, Jack Flaherty, which is a rarity because it seems like the Cardinals actually, by and large, have the Brewers number. Yeah, and that's typically the way it goes, and you're right. When you're looking at the specific pitching matchup with a Flaherty, if you have the team that has success about him, that's the weird thing about baseball. I mean, as good as this pitcher can be overall in the big leagues and against every other team, if there's a specific team that they just don't do well against, that trend seems to happen continuously. We see it, me being a Cubs fan, there's always what we call the Cub killers with these certain hitters just find a way to dominate. Same thing with pitchers. And if that's the case with Flaherty against the Brewers, then you're right, especially in a division game. You always kind of look toward the dog and we're assuming maybe that the Brewers are going to be the dog in this spot because Flaherty is arguably one of their top guys in St. Louis so as tough as it is again sometimes to back Milwaukee because they're inept offense because they have the success here against Flaherty this may be a good opportunity to do so and you're probably going to get a pretty good price for it I agree with you right now we're seeing the Brewers Lying right around a minus 125, so you're getting a plus 115 on the St. Louis Cardinals at this point. And obviously that total of seven, I think, is going to be calling a lot of people's name, as we do have Danny Burke joining me on the podcast. And Danny, we always talk about divisions, which one's the best, which one's the worst. And I do think that it is very fascinating what we're seeing out there in the NL East as well. The bets yesterday were able to take it to our good buddy Matt Harvey, not necessarily the world's biggest surprise there. It certainly has up and the world's greatest run of it for them the last few years. But when you take a look at this NL East, I know that a lot of people are dogging it, but I do think that it might be the most intriguing division out there in baseball. You've got a team in the Atlanta Braves. You know that at some point they're going to start hitting. You've got a Mets team that they've got all sorts of pitching. And then you've got a Philly team that I was mentioning it a little bit earlier. Tremendous when it comes to playing at home. Really bad so far this year when it comes to being on the road. The Nationals and the Marlins are in there as well. And when you take a look at this division, what are you sort of looking at with it? Because I do think that once the Mets wind up getting Carlos Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard, it could be theirs to lose. 100%. And Greg, I mean, the NL East, I thought from preseason to the beginning, was going to be the most intriguing division to really handicap because they're so heavy really all around. The Phillies seem underrated. The Nationals seem like a team that had good value. And then we knew what we were expecting out of the Mets and the Braves. And you talk about Atlanta, again, a team that you know needs to get a little bit better with their starting pitching, but they're going to come around, we're assuming, at some point. I keep talking about betting these division teams. The Braves are one that has some value now because of their struggles. But I do think it's the toughest division all around. The NL Central is still up there too, arguably, Greg. But honestly, if I'm going head-to-head, I'd still pick the NL East as a tougher division. These guys are just going to beat up on each other. And even if you're looking at what we're assuming is the lowest team in the Marlins, they're still finding a way to produce runs too and have a good run differential at that. So I still think the Braves are my team. Is it going to surprise me if a team like the Mets end up coming out on top? No, absolutely not. If it's the Phillies or the Nationals, yeah, I'd be a little bit more shocked. (laughs) But I still think we might find three teams ending up in the postseason out of that division. And if it winds up being the Miami Marlins, who they've done a tremendous job with their pitching staff offense, not necessarily so much, that would certainly be a surprise as well. But something that is never a surprise is hearing great content from you, Danny. You do an absolutely terrific job over there with the Vegas Sands and Information Network. You also do bet on Chicago. You do props and locks out there in the Chicagoland area as well. So you're a man that you do very many things, and you do so also well. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you've all got going on in general. Yeah, appreciate the kind words, Greg. You do a great job yourself. As for me, you can follow me on the tweets at Danny Burke 5 my show Rush Hour. You can get 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time, all on Visa and the Marquee Sports Network, iHeartRadio. And then, like you said, bet on Chicago Saturday nights. We got that going from 7 to 9 Central time. Sorry, I usually go by Central time, so that's just what I go <laughs> off the top of my head being here in Illinois. But yeah, at Danny Burke 5 the best way you can follow me, and I tweet out all that info so you can get a hold of me. And Danny does an absolutely terrific job with the Vegas Sats and Information Network. He does a little bit of everything, covering everything from baseball to the NFL to the NBA. list goes on and on. And it's always great to get him on the podcast. So big thanks to Danny Burke for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday as we touch them all. 
Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to our good buddy, Tanny Burke, out there with the Vegas Sets and Information Network in the Chicagoland for joining me in the last segment. Always great to be able to get him aboard. And it's always great to be able to take a look at everything that's going on in Major League Baseball. Got some good action for today, so I'm going to be giving you guys a side total analysis on every single game and a little something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScore41. The spreadsheet and this podcast goes in the same order. That'd be Las Vegas rotation order. This is just using the numbers that you typically call out in order to be able to place your bet if you do wind up visiting out here in Las Vegas. And it goes National League first and then American League and then the lone interleague game, which time-wise is actually the first one, but that's actually the bottom one. So Always want to make that distinction there, so that way you guys know what order I'm going in. And we are going to be beginning with the first game in the National League, 951-952. The Philadelphia Phillies hit the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin goes for the Nets. Meanwhile, Zach Eflin hopes to not be Eflin awful for the Phillies. Your total on this game, we're seeing that right around 8.5 in a lot of spots. Anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 is the under. The over is anywhere between even a minus 110. The Phillies, very slight favorites here. Anywhere between minus 114 and minus 108. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Nets, finding even money in a lot of spots, seeing it straight plus 101, seeing as bad as minus 106, but a lot of even money. And I felt like the Nets should be a slight favorite in this one because with Patrick Corbin, who wound up having a rough start to begin the year, began the year on the injured list, but he has been able to do a good job of being able to get things rolling. You just take a look at what he's been able to do in his last couple starts. Certainly has been much better than what he wound up doing to begin the year. Three runs or fewer given up in three out of his last four starts. Six plus innings in three of them as well, and that helps out a bullpen that is much better this year with guys like Brad Hand coming in. Kyle Finnegan had a little bit of a rough go at fit earlier in the series, but Will Harris is now off the injured list. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Austin Volth. Now, Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks. His fresh off the injured list. That's actually a downgrade, but then you take a look at Zach Eflin. The team, the Phillies, have actually been very solid in his starts. I believe that they are now 11-4 and four in his last 15 overall, and he's been solid. Two runs or fewer given up in four out of his last five starts. He's went six plus innings in all five of those starts, and he's been able to do a good job of being able to get some swings and misses as well. You take a look at him for the year, right around eight and a half punch outs per nine innings, and then with this Phillies lineup, you do have Bryce Harper back and firing in all cylinders, which is a very good sign for the team, and Mean Gene Segura hitting right around to 350. Has been tremendous for the team. Andrew McCutcheon got off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year. He's had a couple home runs the last few weeks. Alec Bohm has not been able to get it going along. Didi Gregorius, both of these guys, hitting between a 220 and a 240. Reese Hoskins is in that pocket as well, but with Hoskins, he has been able to give you eight home runs at Odubo Herrera. Finally starting to pick it up, and for the Washington Nationals, Juan Soto's back to fold. On-base percentage right around a 400. Has good power numbers. Trey Turner down for what? Ryan Zimmerman, guys, that are hitting right around a 300, along Jody Mercer as well. I've been impressed by him now. The catcher spot in general for the Nationals has been a little bit tough, but you've been able to get something out of Sterling Castro as well, and then when you take a look at the Phillies, this is just a bunch that they've been doing a tremendous job at home. On the road, they've got a bottom five record entering into Wednesday's action, so those home and road splits are very real, and you just take a look at this bullpen. Guys like Rangers, Suarez, Brandon Kitzler, Jose Alvarado, Hector Neris, who is just absolutely insanely different home to road. It certainly has been a little bit tough. That is why I do have the Nationals as a little bit of a favorite here, so I'm going to be taking them at even money slash a little bit of a plus price. And with this total, I did wind up setting it at 8.3, so seeing the minus 110 on the a half, we're going to be going under to go along with the Nationals. 953-954 on the betting board. You got the Milwaukee Brewers, and they're going to be playing us the St. Louis Cardinals. Got my New York Post play today as the Brew Crew send out their one Corbin Burns. Meanwhile, it is Captain Jack Flaherty who's going to be going for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total on this game is 7. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 130. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 110. If you're looking at the crew, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 117 and minus 130. Meanwhile, your plus price here with St. Louis is anywhere between plus 108 and plus 115. I want to saying the Brewers is a minus 136 favorite. That is the New York Post play today. I'm going to be taking them on the money line. You take a look at Jack Flaherty. Throughout his career against the Milwaukee Brewers, 12 starts. He has had an 
ERA north of a 5.25. The only team that he's faced off with for more than three starts in which he's got an ERA north of even a four and a half. So he has had his struggles with the Milwaukee Brewers. Now with Flaherty, 6-0 record, three home runs given up in 41 and a third innings. And we know this, the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, the lineup's been a little bit rough. We're going to be putting it very politely. But J.P. Fireson, Devin Williams, Josh Hader out there in the bullpen. All three of these guys have raised solid. You've been able to get a little bit of something in the lineup out of Avi Garcia and Colt Wong. And they did yesterday, both of these guys hitting a 278 out. The only guys in the lineup yesterday that got a start that's hitting above a 230, but Tyrone Taylor has been getting some starts. He's been selling for the St. Louis Cardinals. They're a team that on the road, hitting right around a 222 themselves, so they're not necessarily letting the world on fire. Now, Yadier Molina's back. He's hitting above 300. Then you've got Dylan Carlson, Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, all in between a 279 and a 295. And with Paul Goldschmidt, Arenado, Paul DeYoung, and Tommy O'Neill, all between six and seven home runs. So if you've got some balance sitting there for the St. Louis Cardinals, their bullpen has been relatively solid, but Jordan Nix is not looking like the guy that he was back in 2018. It's been a little bit of a rough go of it, trying to get back, and it looks like he's going to be unavailable for this game. Giovanni Gallegos is someone that is going to be. He's been relatively solid. Tyler Webb has been able to give you some innings, which is why I do set the total at 6.7. I do think that it's going to be a very low-scoring game, but I do think that the Brewers are going to be able to get that one or two big hits off of Jack Flaherty. Just take a look at Corbin Burns. Zero walks of 49 strikeouts. That's the most strikeouts before issuing your first free pass in the history of Major League Baseball ever since the live ball era. Buck 53 RA. He's given up 4.9 hits per nine innings. I think the Brewers are going to be able to win this one with pitching, so the New York Post play of the day is the Brewers' money line, and I'm going to be pairing that up with this under as well. 9.55, 9.56 on the begging board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing with the San Francisco Giants. Anthony DiScalfani is going to be going for the Giants. William Crow is going to be going for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 8 over and under anywhere between minus 105, minus 115 with the Giants. You're finding them anywhere between minus 152, minus 160, plus price here with Pittsburgh. is anywhere between plus 140, seeing as good as a plus 145 for the Pirates. Certainly has been a strange year for this team. Run differential is absolutely terrible at this point, despite the fact that they actually wind up entering into this one with a 15-21 and 21 record, but I do think that that's going to regress a little bit. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Giants. Plus 31 run differential compared to the Pirates, minus 42. So, you pretty much got the second-best run differential out there in the National League versus the worst one. And for the Pirates, they've been able to do a solid job of being able to reach base, but what has been really killer for this team is the fact that they don't necessarily have guys that are able to drive you in. And now due to injuries, you got Philip Evans, Kea, Tom... Kevin Newman, guys like this, they're in a 220 or lower, where you could throw in there Eric Gonzalez, Gregory Palanco, Martin Perez, Ben Gamble, you've got Mr. Stokes Jr., Troy Stokes Jr., so that's been tough. Adam Frazier's been able to give you a little bit of something along with Brian Reynolds, but man, it's a little bit brutal. Now, I will say this with the Pittsburgh Pirates, the bullpen has actually been good for this team. Kyle Crick, Richard Rodriguez, Sam Howard, guys like this have been able to do a good job of being able to sum the tide and hold down the fort, but a lot of these guys wound up getting used up for at minimum 10 pitches yesterday, including Dwayne Underwood Jr., so that's going to put them in a little bit of a sticky situation. Meanwhile, you take a look at Scalfani. Ever since he wound up getting to San Francisco, he's been relatively solid. Now, he has had his struggles against the Pittsburgh Pirates in the past, but 41 and a third innings has allowed four home runs and 10 walks in the process. He's given up 300 runs or fewer in every one of his starts so far this year. Now, punch-outs are a little bit down so far this year, but so far it's so good that he's backed up by a bullpen that they're not necessarily the best out there in the big leagues, but at the same time, they've been able to do their job. Caleb Barger, Sam Selman, Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee. These guys are all relatively solid. Now, for the Giants, you need a little bit more hitting than just Mr. Buster Posey, who's hitting for nearly a 400. It's been absolutely insane to watch him so far this year, because then you've got Mike Dockman, Mike Ustremski, Brandon Bell, Brandon Crawford, Steven Duger. All these guys hitting between a 235 and a 220, and then you get into the guys like Darren Russ and company. They're hitting even below that, but you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Emma Magoria as well. I do look at the Giants, and I do think that they should be a relatively sizable favorite, but I do like what I'm seeing it of William Crow as well. 402 ERA, 15 and two-thirds innings across three starts. He has given up nine walks. That's a little bit unsightly, but he's also only given up one home run, so he's been able to do a good job of being able to keep the hard contact down, so I do think that you're going to be seeing a little bit of a strange game in this one, which is why I wound up saying this total at 8.5, so we're going to be taking a look at it over. I was willing to lay up to a minus 144 here with the Giants, but when you take a look at the run line, because I do think that things could get a little bit out of hand, I was hoping to get a little bit more of a plus price than what we wound up getting. It's right now hovering in the neighborhood of a plus 105 at a plus 110, so not necessarily a take there. I needed a plus 145 or greater to be able to go with the Pirates, and we barely got there on the Westgate, so... 
begrudgingly, we're going to be taking the Pittsburgh Pirates in the spot to go along with this total over. 957-958 on the bank board. The Colorado Rockies are going to be playing with the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they are on to Colorado as Chichi Gonzalez is going to be going for the Rockies. Meanwhile, Luis Castillo is on the bump for the Red Legs. Red Legs find themselves in between minus 125 and minus 135. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price here with the Rockies, you're going to be finding that anywhere between plus 114 and plus 125. Your total on this game is between 10 and 10 and a half. On the 10 and a half, over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're looking at the 10, your over is just on minus 125. The under is plus 105. And this is going to be an interesting spot because with the Rockies, they wound up playing a double dip yesterday. Yesterday, I'm actually recording this as game two of that is going to be going along. But you take a look at the Rockies. They have been so vastly different home to road. On the road, a 2-14 and 14 record. Meanwhile, at home, going into game two of that double dip, they were 10-10. and 10, So they've been respectable at home. Absolutely terrible on the road. They're hitting much differently as well. Remiel Toppy has been able to do a good job for this team. Hitting right around at 300. You've got Connor Joe, who's been able to help make this team go now with the Rockies as well. One of the best home run rates when they're at home as well. Now you take a look at the bullpen. It did wind up getting a little bit taxed because they did wind up playing a double dip yesterday. So that is a little bit tough. But Yancey Almonte is now off the injury list. That should be able to give this team a little bit of support. I do like what you're able to get out of a couple of these ancillary pieces as well. You've got someone that's able to throw 100 miles an hour, Justin Lawrence. I think that he's going to be solid for this team. And then you take a look at the Reds. This is a team that they're right there in the bottom five with regards to bullpen ERA. Now they were able to survive in advance, being able to get the win against the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates and yesterday, but you do have your concerns with the Reds because they're averaging right around three and a half runs per game on the road at home. That balloons are right around 6.8. You do have quite a few guys who are doing a good job to be able to get on base, especially out there in the outfield. Nick Cassianos, Jesse Winker, both of these guys hitting well above a 300. Taylor Naquin has been able to do a solid job as well. Eight home runs. He's got a 345 on base. Even someone like a Mr. Blandino who's hitting at 265 is able to give you something about Eugenio Suarez hitting above 56. You've had Joey Votto be banged up this year. Kyle Farmer sitting in the neighbor of a 230 as well. Tucker Barnard has been solid, but I do take a look at this Reds team. I don't necessarily have a ton of faith in the pitching because with Luis Casio, he's got an ERA that's nearly a run and a half higher on the road than he is at home. And Omi just does such a better job of commanding than on the road. And as we know, the breaking stuff, it just doesn't break as much out there at Coors Field. And he's someone that he relies upon that quite a bit. So I do think that you're in a little bit of an intriguing spot. Meanwhile, for Mr. Gonzalez, he's given up three home runs in 28 and two-thirds innings. So he's actually been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to hold down the fort and when you take a look at Chichi Gonzalez, what he's been able to do at home so far this year, 360 ERA, he's wound up going a grand total of 10 innings, so it's a little bit of a small sample size, but he's actually been able to do a solid job of being able to keep the ball down. I do think that Gonzalez is going to be able to come out, give you a solid start. I needed at least a plus 115 to take a look at the Rockies, so we are going to be taking this plus price. Also set this total at 12.2. I do think that the Reds are going to be able to bust out with the bats, but I think that Castillo in for a little bit of a long night as well. So we're going to be taking the plus price here with the Rockies and this total over. 959-960 on the buying bar. The Arizona and the Diamondbacks are going to be playing us to the Miami Marlins. Trevor Rogers is on the bump for the Fish. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly is on the bump for the years and the Diamondbacks. Draw's game is 8. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. If you're looking at Miami, you're finding them as a slight favorite here. Anywhere between minus 106 and minus 120. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the years and the Diamondbacks, you're finding a lot of even money as good as uh, plus 105, as bad as a minus 102. And I take a look at Trevor Rogers, and he's got a sub-2 ERA. He's been able to do a great job getting over 12 punch outs per nine innings. The walks could be a little bit unsightly with him for his career, right around four walks, even a little bit more than that per nine innings, but I do like what he's able to provide, and with the Marlins, you do have to keep in mind that the bullpen is going to be a little bit taxed, because they wound up giving a start yesterday to Cody Potit, and they wound up having a bullpen game, so they're a little bit taxed there, but for the years of the Diamondbacks, they also wound up having Mac Peacock as their starter as well, so You've got a pair of teams with some very fascinating bullpen decisions, to say the least, but with that said, you've also got a pair of teams that they are going to have some interesting lineups as well, because both teams are missing their respective Marte. Starling Marte currently out for the Miami Marlins. Ketel Marte currently out for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but Paven Smith has been able to step up for this Arizona Diamondbacks team. He's been able to do a good job being a little bit of a table setter as he and Carson Kelly really been able to step up so far this year. Smith right around 275 batting average, and then when you take a look at Kelly, hitting above a 300 with well over 400 on base, and then when you take a look at this Diamondbacks team in general, not a ton of power, but Josh Rojas has been able to give you four home runs over the last two weeks. You've been able to get Eduardo Escobar to give you seven bombs, but he's only getting a 216. You take a look at E. Steven Vogt along 
along with Nick Ahmad and Dalton Varsho. Only get 225 or lower, and then with the Miami Marlins, this is a bunch of, they've got a couple guys at the top doing a good job of being able to get on base. Miguel Rojas, along with Jesus Aguiar, both hitting in that 280 range up for Aguiar. After a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the year, he's now been able to give you right around eight bombs. Corey Dickerson hitting at 316, but then you got John Birdie, Izan Diaz, Sandy Leon, Mangolia Sierra, along with Adam Duvall. List goes on and on of guys are in a 210 or lower for this bunch, and when you take a look at this Miami team in general, I do like a lot of the bullpen pieces. Guys like Dylan Floro, Yumi Garcia do a good job of being able to give you one inning, and for the Diamondbacks, you got a couple more multi-inning guys. Someone like Caleb Smith is able to come in there and hold down the fort. Joaquin Soria is more of a one-inning guy, but Kevin Ginkle has been able to be a little bit versatile. Seth Frankoff, I think that he's a very intriguing guy as well, so I do think that this is going to be a spot in which you've got a whole lot of elements that need to be taken into account because of what you want up seeing yesterday, but I think the biggest key of all is just Merrill Kelly and the fact that his command has been a little bit hit or miss throughout his career at the major league level, but I do think that he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job in this outing. He is someone that so far this season has given out 14 walks and 38 in the third innings. Nothing great, nothing awful. The 30 punch out he's on necessarily hard tosser, a 540 ERA. Last season, he was very good before he wound up going out with an injury, and he's given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last four starts, so I do think that scoring might be at a little bit more of a premium in this spot, which is why I set this total at 7.4, but I do think that with Trevor Rogers going for the Marlins, they do have a bit of a edge here, so that is why I wound up saying them as more around a minus 118 favorite. So we're going to be taking the fish, and I'm going to be taking this total under as well. 961, 962 on the bagging board. The Kansas City Royals at the road face off against the Detroit Tigers. Spencer Turnbull are going to be going for the Tigres. Meanwhile, Daniel Lynch on the bump for the Royals. Royals, slight underdogs here. They're anywhere between even money, seeing as Bad as a minus 103, seeing as good as a plus 101, but relatively short underdogs there. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Tigers, anywhere between minus 108 and minus 120 is your price here. Over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And for Turnbull, it's just been a little bit of a rough go of it for his entire career. Right around a 4-5 ERA, which is nothing great, but at the same time, it's nothing terrible. But he's got like an 8-26 and career record because guys just don't score for him in general. Now the good news is, they've got a guy in Daniel Lynch who has an ERA of an 18 56 and a whip of three. I always say on this podcast, if your whip would be a good bench press for a set of 10, that is not good. I really wish I could bench 300 pounds for a set of 10. And for 18.56, well, I mean, if you have a year in which it's pretty similar to when Abraham Lincoln was alive as your ERA, it's not necessarily too good either. He's given up five walks and five and a third innings. Now, for the Royals, bullpen is one that has a pretty good reputation, but it has really sunk back to earth. They're actually now in the bottom half of the big leagues when it comes to bullpen ERA. Now, Irvin Santana has been able to do a good job will be able to give you multiple innings out of the bullpen. He might need to be used in this one. Chris Bubich is someone that's able to do that, as well as Scott Barlow, even someone like a Greg Allen. Relatively solid, but we've noticed that whenever they've tried Jacob Junis in the relief spot, it's not a good for him. Meanwhile, the Tigers, they've got the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. We saw that take place a couple days ago. Team was up 7-0. Going into the eighth inning, and they very nearly blow the game Thanks to Jose Cicerno, Kyle Funkhauser, Gregory Soto, guys that you're just not able to rely upon. But I will say this for Spencer Turnbull throughout his career, right around .7 runs per nine innings. Give it up. He's out there in a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark in Detroit. And when you take a look at the Kansas City Royals, the hitting is okay for this team. You've got Carlos Santana, Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez, Andrew Benintendi, along Gerard Dyson, all in between a 260 and a 275 for this team with Santana right around a 400 on base. But you just expect more out of Ore Soler. He got a home run earlier in the series for a start of the campaign, but hitting right around the Mendoza line of 200 and for the Detroit Tigers, starting to get a little bit more hitting for the team. Jamir Candelario has been able to do a solid job, but he is the only guy not named Nico Goodrum that left yesterday's game that wound up being a starter that has a batting average above a 235. Jonathan Scope, Miguel Cabrera, these guys are just a little bit over the hill, so I do think that the starting pitching going to have a big impact in this game. I just don't know if Daniel Lynch is going to be able to give you three full innings at this point, which is why I did wind up saying the Tigers is more around a minus 125 favorite, so we're going to be laying it there with the total. I set it at 8.7 because the Kansas City Royals offense starting to come back down to earth, and for the Detroit Tigers, they are averaging the fewest runs per game of any offense out there in the big league, so we're going to be dipping under, and we're going to be digging the Detroit Tigers. 963, 964 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins hit the road face off against the Chicago White Sox. 
Lance Lynn is going to be going for the Sox. Meanwhile, Michael Pineda hopes to not be Michael Pineda for the Minnesota Twins. If you're looking at the Twins, you're finding them anywhere between plus 120 and plus 122. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the here with the White Sox, anywhere between minus 130, minus 140, Toronto's game is 7.5, over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. We were talking a bit about the Sox with our good buddy Danny Burke, and I really do like what this team is able to get. It was supposed to be Carlos Rodon at first. Instead, it's Lance Lynn. These guys are pretty comparable when it comes to value. I actually have Lance Lynn a little bit bit better, so I'm willing to lay up to a minus 144 here with the White Sox personally, but you take a look at the Minnesota Twins. Offense has actually been relatively solid for this team. What has really let them down is the pitching, and Michael Pineda has been one of their better ones. 243 ERA has given up six home runs at 33 in the third innings, but he's facing off against a White Sox team that is in the bottom five of the big leagues with regards to the percentage of their hits that wind up going for home runs with Pineda. has given up two runs or fewer in four of his last five starts as well, so he's been relatively rock solid. Here's a question, though. What are you going to be able to get out of this bullpen? Because it has not not been good for the Twins, and that's putting it very politely. Cody Sashek, who was pretty solid for the team last year, he has not been able to come through. Alex Colme, who was with the White Sox last year, he has been a hot mess. Even someone like a Taylor Rogers has been having his struggles recently. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, their bullpen wound up getting off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year, but these guys are able to find it. Liam Hendricks, even an Evan Marshall wound up having a tough start to begin the year. These guys have been able to lower their ERAs in recent games. Aaron Bummer has been far from a bummer as well, so that's all, but you take a look at the Minnesota Twins. Not having Byron Buxton is certainly a big loss. Though I will say, young prospect Kyle Garlick has been able to step up for the team hitting right around 290. Now, you've got Josh Donaldson, who's hitting in that 270 area, and it was surprising to see Luis Arias hitting in the 9-0 yesterday, but he's got nearly a 400-run base, just came off the injured list. That's big. You've got Nelson Cruz hitting above a 300. He got his ninth home run the season yesterday, but then you take a look at Jake Cave, Mitch Garver, Max Kepler, Miguel Sano, all these guys. They're hitting a 225 or lower. Now, I do recognize that someone like a Sano has a little bit of a better on base and he's able to give you some power, but still, these guys are not getting on consistently. Meanwhile, you take a look at Yedeman Mercedes for the Chicago White Sox, still hitting above a 375. Andrew Vaughn has been able to hit right around at 260 for this bunch after a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the year. Nick Madrigal, Tim Anderson, Daniel Mendick, all guys that are either flirting with 300 or hitting well above a 300. Jose Abreu wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the year, but you take a look at what he's been able to do recently. He has gotten multiple hits in three of the team's last four games, so he's been able to step up and do a good job for this team. So I take a look in this spot. I do think that Lance Lynn is going to be able to deliver the goods. He's got a buck 52 ERA, 35 punch outs at 29 and two-thirds innings for his career. Has been someone that has been very good at being able to hold the ball in the yard. Right around a career, 0.8 home runs per nine inning rate. Has given up three runs or fewer in every one of his starts so far this year. So I do think that he's going to be able to get the job done in this spot. So I'm going to be taking the White Sox money line. And I did wind up saying this total at 8.2. So we're going to be taking a look at it over as well. 965-966 on the main board. The Oakland A's hit the road face off against the Boston Red Sox. Garrett Richards is going to be going for the Sox. Meanwhile, Chaminea is on the bump for the Oakland A's. Donald's game is 9.5. With the under, you're going to be finding that anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between even a minus 115. With the Red Sox, very slight favorites here. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the A's, you're going to be finding them as bad as a minus 110, as good as even money. And for Chaminea, he actually wanted purling a no-hitter in Fenway Park a few years ago, so you do want to be noting that he's had some success against the Boston Red Sox, and for Garrett Richards, after just an absolute calamity to begin the year, he's been raining it as well. He's given up right around one home run per nine innings, someone that has had his walks issues, 15 walks in 35 and two-thirds innings, but he has given up a combined two walks in his last three starts. In those starts, he's given up one run or fewer in two out of the last three, so he's been able to rein it in and hold down the fort. Meanwhile, you take a look at Manea, he's giving up right around .9 home runs per nine innings, so he's been able to do a good job there, and this is someone that throughout his career has actually been relatively solid, both on the road and not giving up walks. With regards to the walks so far this year, eight of them in 41 innings and in his two starts on the road, buck 64 ERA. That really has me impressed so you want to go a little bit further. 2020 was a little bit of an outlier for him but in 2019, once again, small sample size but a 0.53 road ERA in his starts. So you have to go back even further. In 2018, last real full season for him, he actually had an ERA that was lower away from home than it was at home and Oakland, especially during the nighttime, tends to be a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark. So that is something that I certainly do keep into account with the Oakland A's. This is a bunch that they've got some guys that are able to give you a little bit of contact, but their on-base this year has been better than it's been in the past. Matt Olson, Seth Brown, Ramon Laureano, Jed Lowry, Mark Canna, Matt Chapman. All these guys have an on-base percentage of at least a 310, so that's been able to help you out. Even with some of these guys, like a Canna hitting a 235, a Chapman hitting a 220, all these guys find a way to be able to get on for you. And then when you take a look at the Boston Red Sox, no doubt this is a very good high-powered offense. J.D. Martinez and 
Xander Bogarts, both hitting above a 325 with Martinez. He's got a double-digit amount of home runs, and then you've got Alex Verdugo hitting right around a 300 for the bunch. Rafael Devers, 275. So these guys are able to hold it down, and you get back Michael Javis, who has looked solid ever since coming off the injured list, but I do think that the bullpen is going to have a lot to do with what winds up happening in this game. I do think that the Red Sox bullpen, probably a little bit better than what I wound up giving it credit for at the beginning of the year. Now, Hirokazu Sawamura, because he wound up pitching quite a bit earlier in this series, may not be available, but you take a look at Eduardo Bazardo. He is going to be coming in. It's going to be very interesting because he's one of their young fireballers. I think that he might be able to lend a little bit of something out there in a bullpen spot if they wind up putting him there. Matt Andrees wound up having a little bit of a tough COVID a few days ago, but he's able to give you multiple innings out of the bullpen. Philip Zeldes is someone that I do like him for the Oakland A's. They're a little bit banged up in the bullpen right now. J.B. Wendelkin currently on the injured list now. You've got Yasmeto Petit, someone that I like. Bert Smith has been able to come in and hold down the fort along with Lou Trevino. Diolius Correra has been able to give you some solid innings as well, but you still have Sumergio Romo on this team as well. That's not necessarily ideal, and I do like the way that Garrett Richards has been able to pick it up. So I wound up making the Boston Red Sox a slight favorite here. I was willing to lay up to a minus 114 in this spot. Right now seeing a lot of more like minus 105 to minus 110-ish, so we're going to be riding with the Red Sox in this spot. I do think that both of these pitchers are going to be able to deliver a good spot. Set this total at 8.6, so we're taking the under, and we're taking the Sox. 967-968 on the bang board. The New York Yankees hit the road face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Rich Hill is going to be going for the Rays. Meanwhile, Jameson Dion is on the bump for the Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves anywhere between minus 127 and minus 140 favorites. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Rays is anywhere between plus 117 and plus 129. Total on this game is 8.5 over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. I'm seeing a straight 8 out there as well at Circa. That over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. And for Rich Hill, he is the oldest active starter in the big leagues. And he has not necessarily had the world's greatest start to the year. Now, he's had a couple flashes of showing what he's able to do, which I think is very intriguing. But all in all, 517 ERA. He's given up 5 home runs, 10 walks, and 31 and a third innings. He hasn't necessarily given up a ton of contact, but it just feels like all the contact he gives up is very hard. Meanwhile, you take a look at Tyon. It's been a little bit of an up and down season for him. It seems like he's doing a little bit of a better job of reining it in, though. He's given up three runs or fewer in three out of his last four starts. Strikeouts are there for him. 34 punch outs in 28 and two thirds innings, and he's facing off against a race team that ever since the beginning of the 2019 campaign, they right now lead all of Major League Baseball with regards to strikeouts per nine innings and strikeouts overall in a game as an offense. And for this bunch, you do have Randy Orozarena getting on base with a right around a 350 on base, 250 batting average. But Austin Meadows, Manuel Margot, Brandon Lau, Yoshi Satsugo, Brandon Phillips, Willie Adamas, Mike Zanino, pretty much every other player at the catcher spot hitting 8 to 30 or lower for this team. That is not ideal. He's Yandy Diaz has been able to hit right around at 250 for this team, but you don't necessarily have a ton of power with the team either. You wind up having to use up quite a bit of the bullpen as well as Ryan Yarbrough had an opener used for him as well, and he winds up going three and a third innings. Looks solid. It gets bold after 56 pitches. So this is a race team that they're going to be a little bit depleted with that regard. That's not necessarily what you want with Rich Hill going out there. Now, you still have a couple guys like a Ryan Thompson, a Hunter Strickland. These guys are able to hold down the fort, but with the Yankees, even though you currently have Darren O'Day currently on the injured list, you still have quite a few guys here you're able to look to. Jonathan Wiseguy has been good for multiple innings. Wandy Peralta is someone I like Justin Wilson is be able to step up. Chad Green is Chad Green, so I think that that's big. And for the Yankees, they're all of a sudden being able to hit for this team. John Carlos Stanton has been able to give you right around a 285 batting average along Gio Urshela. Aaron Judge has been up and down so far this year, but he wound up having a home run earlier in this series. DJ Lee is hitting right around 270. Now the bottom of the lineup. Aaron X, Clint Frazier, Brent Gardner, along with Trey Wade. All these guys are hitting a 200 or lower along with Gary Sanchez. I actually think Kyle Higashioka, despite the fact that he's hitting just above the Mendoza line. Should be getting those starts out there at the catcher spot, much like he was getting yesterday, but that's a story for another day. I take a look in this spot. I do think that the Yankees should be a relatively sizable favorite. I don't want to be laying multiple runs here, so I'm going to just play it safe with the money line of the Yankees was willing to lay up to a minus 153, and I set this total at 9.3 because I do think that with both of these pitchers out there, we're going to see some runs. So we're taking the over and the Yankees in this spot. 969 and 70 on the betting board. The Houston Astros are going to be playing against the Walker, Texas Rangers. Mike Fulton-Navich is going to be going for the Rangers. Christian Avier is on the ball for the Astros. Astros anywhere between minus 187 and minus $2 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Texas, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 170 and plus 175. Your total on this game is between 8.5 and, and 9 on the 8.5. Over is use of minus 120. The under is even on the 9. Under is use of anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Over is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. With Christian Avier, this is someone who's been able to do a relatively solid job so far this season. He has sunk back to earth a little bit in recent starts, but still, 31 innings pitch. He's given up just three home runs 
has been very solid ever since he wound up getting called to the big leagues last season. Now, I will mention, he has given up a combined eight runs in his last two starts. That span 10 and a third innings. And for Fulton Davich, he got off to an absolutely terrible start. And he's towards the top of the league with regards to home runs issued. 11 home runs allowed in 40 innings, but has done a good job of being able to rein it in a little bit more recently with regards to the total runs given up. Three or fewer in four out of his last five starts, and he's given you at least five innings in each out of his last five starts as well. So, he's been able to give you length that's big because this is a Texas Rangers bullpen that is one of the worst out there in the big leagues, and they've been using a lot of guys like a Kobe Allard for multiple innings. I know that they've done this a lot with Taylor Hearn. John King has been stretched out a bit as well, and Hun Jung Young has been someone who's been able to give you some long relief as well. He's come over from the KBO. He's been relatively solid, and for the Texas Rangers. This is a bunch that when they've been on the road, they've been able to put up more runs than they have been able to at home, which I find to be very fascinating, but Willie Callen is doing a great job of being able to set the table for this team. He, along with Nate Lowe, Joey Gallo, are all guys with an on-base percentage between a 361 and a 380, and then Nick Solak, right around a 665 batting average, 350 on-base for him, Charlie Culberson, to be able to right around a 300 along with Adolius Garcia, who's been able to give this team some power. David Dahl has been a little bit off, but he wound up getting a home run to wind up rounding out the series against the San Francisco Giants, and for the and Astros. Bullpen is below average. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of guys like Brooks Raley along with Ryan Perez, but it feels like these guys wind up pitching every single day, and by the All-Star break, their arms are probably going to be falling off, because you don't have much else outside of that. Ryan Stanek, not necessarily a trustworthy guy. Joe Smith has not necessarily been able to do a lot for you. Andre Scrub offers a lot of walks, but he somehow, way seems to be able to get out of them, and Kent Emanuel has been able to give you a bit of something, and we know this with the Houston Astros. Lineup is very good for this team. Alex Bregman, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, Yoli Gurriel, all hitting at least a 300 for this bunch of Jose Altuve. Not too far behind. He winds up getting his fourth home run in the campaign yesterday. Now, the guys at the bottom, like a Martin Maldonado, a Kyle Tucker, Miles Straw when he's out there, Chaz McCormick, they need to do a little bit more for you, but with that said, this is still a very solid lineup. I do think that Christian Javier is going to get some run support, but at the same time, I feel like this is just a little bit too much respect for him at this point. I needed at least a plus 162 to take a shot here on the Rangers, and the Rangers in recent years have actually had some success in Houston. I still remember back to the 2018 season in which the Astros wound up winning the World Series. The Rangers were actually very good as money line underdogs there, so we're going to be taking them in this spot. And with this total, I set the total at 9.2 because I think that both of these guys are going to give up some runs, so we're going to be going over, and we're going to be taking the Texas Rangers. 971-972 on the betting board. You've got the Cleveland Windians hitting the road face off against the Seattle Mariners. Logan Gilbert is going to be going for the Mariners. Meanwhile, Zach Blesak is on the bump for the Indians. These numbers were based on if Chris Flexen was going to be out there with Flexen on the mound. Bookmaker wanted putting out there a total of eight with the over and the under at minus 110. And the Cleveland Indians were right around a minus 135 favorite. Meanwhile, you were looking at the Seattle Mariners being at a plus 115. Obviously, this is going to be changing a little bit. And for Logan Gilbert, it is going to be very fascinating to see what he's able to do here because what is so tricky about gauging these guys that are making their first career start, or for that matter, just their first career appearance at the big league level is that you really don't have much to be able to build off of because, as we know, the minor league season back in 2020 wound up being completely done away with. So you have to look back to Logan Gilbert's numbers back from when he was out there at the single-A level with West Virginia. Or you can take a look at the one start that he's made this year with Triple A Tacoma. So there is that aspect of it. But all in all, throughout single-A baseball and double-A baseball during the 2019 campaign, he wound up going 10-5 and now. He had a 2-1-3 ERA. He was in some very pitcher-friendly leagues, to say the least. Did a good job of being able to keep the home runs down. And he did that throughout his career when he was playing for the sets and hatters out there in college as well. But I think that this is going to be an entirely new ball of wax. He certainly is someone that has some good off-speed stuff. But I take a look at Zach Plesak. A little bit more of a been-there-done-that sort of guy. And he has been able to give you length all throughout his career. He does a good job of keeping the walks on as well. For Plesak, over the course of four innings, so far this year. Seven walks. He has given up four home runs. 383 ERA. He just wound up having a couple blow-up starts against the Chicago White Sox. Gave up a combined 12 runs in those two starts against the White Sox. Against everyone else, he has went 34 and a third innings. And in the process, he has given up five runs. So, if you take out the White Sox, he has been able to pitch very well, and you take a look at the Indians, they're able to back him up with one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. James Karinchek has been able to do it all season long. Emmanuel Clase has been a very good closer for this team. Now, Clase winds up being able to get the hold yesterday, and Karinchek winds up coming in for the save as it was a little bit of a bullpen game for the Cleveland Indians, but even someone like a Brian Shaw is going to be able to give you a little bit of something. Cal Quantrill, I believe that he wanted pitching yesterday, but he's 
still might be able to have a little bit of something in the tank. And then you take a look at these Seattle Mariners. This is a bunch that they've been able to do a good job of being able to hold down the fourth themselves with the bullpen. They've got a top five bullpen ERA. Will Vest has been a nice surprise for this team. Kendall Graveman has actually been one of the better relievers out there in all of baseball. He's given up as many earned runs as myself so far this year. So that is something that's very interesting. Wyatt Mills has come up to the big league level. He hasn't been effective along Eric Swanson, but Drew Seconrider has been able to give you a bit of something. And for the Mariners, what you do want to know with this team is the fact that they are very top-heavy when it comes to their lineup. You've got J.P. Crawford, Mitch Haniger, Kyle Lewis, Kyle Seager, all these guys hitting a 243 or greater. And for Lewis, Haniger, and Crawford, between a 258 and a 265, with Haniger being able to go deep 10 times. After that, it's really a big drop-off. Tom Murphy, Dylan Moore, Taylor Trammell, whenever he's out there, Evan White, list goes on and on of guys. They're not just hitting below a 200, but well below a 200. And then when you take a look at the Cleveland Indians, this is a team that they've had a little bit of a tough time being able to generate runs themselves, but I do like what you're able to get out of Jose Ramirez. This is someone that has been able to give you 10 home runs for the campaign. He's been able to hit right around a 252, and I do like Framio Ray is hitting a 265. Josh Naylor has been able to come along for the ride as well. Jake Bowers, Jordan Luplo, Yu Chang, Andres Jimenez, Amit Rosario, Eddie Rosario. All these guys are hitting a 221 or lower, and really, none of these guys aside from Luplo doing a good job of being able to get out of May. Cesar Hernandez, you can throw him in there as well, so I do think that you're going to be able to get something very fascinating in this spot. With the Cleveland Indians, I think that they should be a favorite, and I think that they should be a relatively sizable favorite, but I still do have some question marks when it comes to this lineup as well, which is why, in this spot, I currently have the Indians as a minus 146 favorite. So, pretty much looking at a minus 145 or better there, with this total, set it at 8.6. So, an 8.5 or lower is going to be a take on the over. On the 9 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and if anything changes with this, I will be noting that on my Twitter feed, along with the spreadsheet, and the Twitter feed is at GUnit underscore 81. And we wrap things up with what is, ironically enough, the earliest game of the day. 973-974, lone interleague game between the Atlanta Bravos and they're taking on the Blue Jays of Parts Unknown because they played a little bit of everywhere the last 24 months. Ross Tripling goes for the unknown Blue Jays. Meanwhile, you've got Charlie Morton on the bump for the Bravos. Bravos are finding themselves anywhere between minus 136 and minus 145. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Jays, anywhere between plus 125 and plus 130 total on this game is nine. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 110. And with Ross Tripling, it certainly has not been a good run from the last couple years. I still remember when he was an all-star. I think it was in 2018. He was actually one of the better starters out there in the big leagues. Ever since then, he has completely fallen off an almighty cliff. A 661 ERA so far this year. The long ball has really caught up to him. He has given up three home runs in 16 and a third innings so far this season. And for his career, he's given up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings. But if you take a look back the last two years, that's nearly a two. Meanwhile, for Charlie Morton, he's given up a couple bombs himself. Five home runs in 34 and a third innings. 498 ERA. His first stint in Atlanta. Not necessarily going as planned, but he is backed up by Ronald Acuna Jr. Someone hitting above a 300. He's been able to give the team 11 home runs so far this year. So he has certainly been able to do his job. And you know that with the Atlanta Braves, this is a team that they're eventually going to be able to bust out and they're going to be able to hit. Going into yesterday's game, you had Freddie Freeman, Marcel Ozuna, Ozzy Albies, Dansby Swanson, William Contreras, Christian Pache. All hitting a 230 or lower for this team. Now, I will say, a couple of these guys doing a good job of being on base, like a Freddie Freeman with an on-base percentage hovering right around a 350-ish. And you do have Austin Riley who has nearly a 400 on base as well, but I do figure that they're going to be able to rise up a little bit more. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. You've got a lot of consistency with this team. Tasker Hernandez, Marcus Simeon, Bobochet. All these guys have some good pop in the bat. All these guys in between a 260 and a 275 now, Lords Goriel, Kevon Biggio, Danny Jansen, Jonathan Davis. These are all guys that they need to rise up and they need to do a little bit of a better job of being able to get on base because Laguerro Jr., right around a 450 on base. He is someone that has just absolutely torn it up so far this year. He wound up having that three home run game earlier in the season against Max Scherzer. But when you take a look at the bullpens of these teams with the Braves, they wound up having to use quite a few pieces a few days ago. But by and large, they've been able to do a relatively solid job. I do like what you're getting out of someone like a Luke Jackson, Josh Sean is able to give you multiple innings. AJ Minter, Tyler Madzik, these guys will be able to find it. And then for the Toronto, aka Danita Blue Jays, they've got a couple guys on the injured list. You've got Julian Merriweather along with Rafael Dolis. Two of their better guys are currently out, but AJ Cole has just arrived for this team. Ryan Baruki has been able to give you a little bit of something. Travis Bergen has been good in multiple innings. Tim Maza, Joel Payampas, they've been able to do a good job. And I do think that that bullpen is going to be utilized quite a bit. And Trent Thornton is someone that's able to be a little bit of a long reliever as well. So even if Ross Stripling winds up getting blown up, they do have a little bit 
of a fallback. Now, with early games, typically these lean a little bit more under, but I'm going to be taking the over in this spot just because I do think that both of these pitchers might be giving up some hard contacts with this all at 9.4, so I'm going to be taking it over. Needed at least a plus 130 to take a shot here on the Toronto Blue Jays. We got that at the Westgate, so I'm going to be taking the Jays and the over, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Thursday. A big thanks to Danny Burke of the Vegas Ads and Information Network for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe or view your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You've got one of two ways we have finding questions if you have them for this podcast. My Twitter timeline is the first one at GNRSCORD1. Keep in mind the letter ZM. Naming does not matter. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it's very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. I'll be talking at you guys every single day throughout the Major League Baseball season, which means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 